Hey, this is Keith Cole, Director of Product Management at Swirls Labs, where we're catapulting development and progress for Hedera, the world's most used sustainable enterprise-grade public network, created to make your digital world exactly as it should be, yours. I'm here on the Edge of NFT, the podcast that is bringing you great leaders in Web3 to give you inspiration on how you can lead too. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how today's guest is working on making your future digital identity as safe and secure as Fort Knox. And what foreign substance powered today's guest through the most intense dev sprint of his entire life? And how little Bitcoin and crypto money records are making sweet Web3 music with some of the most iconic players in hip hop. All this and more on today's episode. And don't forget, we put together a gathering at NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Keith Cole. He's a director of product management at Swirls Lab with a focus on supporting development of decentralized identity on Hedera. For those who aren't familiar, Hedera is a proof of stake sustainable enterprise grade public network for the decentralized economy that is dedicated to building a trusted and secure online world that empowers people. Prior to joining Swirls Labs, Keith produced Decentralized Identity at Workday and Trusted Key. And before that, Keith held product management roles at Dolby and Via Technologies, making him a key player in rallying teams to create successful top-tier product life cycles in tech and beyond. Hedera is owned and governed by 25 companies, including Google, IBM, LG, Ubisoft, and Deutsche Telekom. It calls itself a third-generation public ledger that builds on the ideas and technologies of those other systems and has its own features. Keith, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you very much, Ethan. Awesome. So if we could jump right in here, I want you to maybe just explain what Swirls Lab is for the listener and how it is related to Hedera. It'd be great. Yeah, so uh, Swords Labs was spun out from Hedera, I believe, in May of this year. You know, the main mission of Swords Labs is really to propel the Hedera network. We support the maintenance and the development of Hedera and growing that ecosystem. And then in the future, we'll also be developing kind of public open source libraries to also support the development of ecosystems on Hedera. So, Keith, one of the things we always like to understand is how folks got to work with these amazing organizations, like what that path looked like. And one of the things that stood out to us about Hedera that that we value very highly within our organization is core values. Things like integrity, ethics, service, excellence, teamwork. These are some of the core values of Hedera. And curious on your journey to Hedera, and we'd like to learn about that. Like, How did these core values play in? Is this something that was on your mind as you were thinking about 
working with such an amazing organization? Yeah, great question. I think my journey kind of speaks to a lot of things that I think are so great about Hedera. My journey on this really started, I was living in Hong Kong and I joined a company, a startup called Trusted Key that was working on decentralized identity. And that was mostly based on, that was Ethereum-based, smart contracts, all that great stuff. This was before the time of even some of the new standards we see today. I worked for Trusted Key for about two years, uh, transferred to California, and then they were acquired by Workday. So I spent the next three years at Workday building out decentralized identity. Now, for those of you who don't know, like Workday is a large HCM provider. Like they do for the backend, they do things like payroll, HR, hiring, like all those kind of backend systems for companies. Workday is one of the largest company providers right now. So I, I worked for them for three years, kind of building out decentralized identity and integrating that with their backend. And that journey, I was building out decentralized identity, both on Hyperledger Fabric and then later on Bitcoin. And I think my perception always was, is that for a company building out technologies that are anchored on blockchains or distributed ledgers, which is very fundamental to the needs of decentralization, but often it was like, it was heavy lifts, like building out those stacks on ledgers took a lot of resources, a lot of effort. And often I kind of felt like it was a distraction to probably the core products that a company like Workday or other companies building decentralized identity want to build, which are usually around things like issuing services, verifying services, wallets, like the consumer side of it or the customer side of it. So I think when Hedera approached me and they were kind of already aligning to my value proposition in that I always saw that the need for a large enterprise was more like blockchain or distributed ledger as a service. Large companies want this as another piece of infrastructure. Like today, a large company, maybe they use AWS or they use Azure. Often they don't want to have to like learn a whole new technology stack. They don't want to be having to hold crypto. That's a big problem for a lot of companies. They just want the value of distributed ledgers or blockchains. And I I really saw the opportunity because I thought here, Hedera is a service where you have all the fundamentals in place. You have a network, great performance, great uptime great governance layer, environmentally sustainable. Like it was all the check boxes the enterprise is looking for. And I thought, okay, well, if my vision is correct, that this is what companies or large enterprises or medium-sized enterprises are looking for, Hedera seems to be, be the right network for that type of requirement. That's really cool. I can definitely relate. You're bringing me back to my consulting days. And I can just think of so many companies that have this guy that is the only guy left that knows this old system from like 20 years ago. And he's like kind of a curmudgeon at this point. He kind of gets to do whatever he wants because he's the only one knows how to do this little bit of programming. And like that type of legacy cost gets really expensive and it gets in the way of them focusing on their core business, which is what they all want to do. Yeah. I mean, companies, I believe, they want the value that they can get from distributed ledgers and technologies like NFTs. They don't necessarily want to have to ramp up an entire engineering team on it. Like I said, they don't want to deal with like holding crypto. That's a big problem. They don't want to deal with some of the pain that's so outside of their normal kind of IT mindset for IT infrastructure. Yeah, there's a lot of governance there. There's a lot of barriers to sort of using this technology that intrigues them. So when you look at the future of Hedera, recognizing that a lot of NFT communities are adopting it, it's one of the faster growing areas of adoption. Where do you see Hedera and and NFTs going and to what extent are they sort of aligned? Yeah, so Hedera has been working on 
NFTs for quite a while now. It started out using NFTs you could mint on our Hedera consensus service, but more recently we did launch the Hedera token service. We are also having broad compatibility with EVM networks, which allows things like wrapping more standard Ethereum token. And so I think we definitely do see a strong, and from our customers, we hear that there's a very strong path forward and a lot of amazing use cases for NFTs. So really the requirement becomes around, from a Hedera perspective, how do we create the best network for minting NFTs, managing NFTs, the entire life cycle of NFT? And then, of course, all the other services that third-party services to go along with that. How do we create the best network to create those kind of ecosystems, whether they are in around tokenization of assets or gaming or whatever you can imagine? What are the base layer infrastructure requirements to make all of those ecosystems happen? And what's your outlook on NFTs in general? I mean, you chose Sidera because you saw the long-term potential. What's the potential you see with NFTs that sort of is additive to what Hedera brings to the table from a token blockchain perspective? Yeah, obviously the core of Hedera is Hashgraph, a consensus service, but then we've built many services on top of that, like our consensus layer, which allows you to do like immutable messaging, or obviously the crypto service, we have a file service. And of course, I think most excitingly, our token service, also our smart contract service. So I think that these are all different ways that you can leverage the core Hashgraph consensus. But it's also about, it's not just offering a token service. I think we also realize that there's a lot of pieces that go with that. There's support from wallets. You have to create a whole ecosystem of support around that to make it as easy for developers to develop on that. So I think it's a package of stuff that you need to deliver. But ultimately, yes, deriving from the core value of the Hashgraph consensus layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to hear your perspective on how everything's integrated and also how the intention here is just to kind of support infrastructure and help people do what they want to do, right? That's the main goal. And the tools that you use to apply it are just you pick the best tools. And I think that makes a lot of sense. We've been talking about it on podcasts a little bit um, and hearing about this, this kind of buzzworded Web3 identity of soulbound tokens. We've heard a little bit about it, of course. Tell me about soulbound tokens and kind of any debates around that product and what that has to do with decentralized identity. Yeah, maybe I'll just back up a little bit, just talk about a little bit of the history about decentralized identity on distributed ledgers. So about three or four years ago, some of the core technologies that started being developed around decentralized identity were things called like DIDs or decentralized identifiers, which were just ratified as a new standard. I think the last identifier to be ratified was URL. So it was pretty momentous. Also, you have this thing called verifiable credentials. So like the last few years of my work has been focused on those types of standards. And those all revolve around you having an identity wallet and you receiving credentials in that wallet and then being able to share those credentials with anyone you want, but all in a very privacy-preserving way. Recently, we've heard this new kind of buzz around soulbound tokens. Some people don't like that naming. I think it was coined by Vitalik and turning to a gaming reference. It was then expanded upon. There was a white paper called, I think, Finding Web3 Soulbound Token Soul. Other people call that like non-transferable, non-fungible tokens, because that's really what they are. They're kind of NFT that's not transferable, but kind of a cool name attached to it. So it's created a lot of discussion. When I think about soulbound tokens, and I wrote some notes on this on our blog, the number one thing I think about is privacy. I think with a soulbound token, I mean, typically in most instantiations, it's something that you're attaching to your account. It's publicly discoverable on a chain. 
And that has certain implications. To me, that puts it to the realm of your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook and the kind of information that you'd want to put into a soulbound token then aligns to that. Like I personally would not put my driver's license on my Facebook feed. Maybe some people would, I wouldn't. There's obviously a scale there of people that are happy to share everything about themselves on the internet. And then some people that live in a Faraday cage and want to share nothing. Where do you fit on that scale? But I think that's my first kind of analysis point about soulbound tokens is these are, at least in their current form, public displays of information. So then you as an individual, what are you comfortable being out there on a public chain? Quick interjection there. Yep. So when we talk about soulbound tokens, we know there's sort of a token that's associated with one individual. So by that definition as well, you wouldn't have multiple soulbound tokens, correct? Or is it like different soulbound tokens for different systems? Like, how would you think about that? I think this is where we get into some complexity with the terminology of soul. I mean, at the end of the day, these are just non-transferable, non-fungible tokens tied to an account you have. Now, in today's world, you could have one account, you could have many accounts, you could have one non-transferable token, you could have many non-transferable tokens. I think the vision that most people have is that you'd have many of these tokens. In fact, I think if you actually go into some of the thoughts on decentralized society, the way I understand it, you would have maybe thousands of tokens, which creates other kinds of problems around discoverability and how you manage them and how someone can find something. But that aside, I think the vision as I understand it is that you would have potentially many tokens tied to probably a single account. And that account is kind of your identity. And then you have many tokens associated to that identity. But of course, people do have multiple accounts. So that makes things more complicated. Right. Right. So let's talk about that implementation. Like, what does that look like in your eyes? Like the actual implementation, actual uptake and use of soulbound tokens? I think when thinking about the implementation of the token, I think we can leverage a lot of the past work done on decentralized identity just to describe the steps. And it does not need to be Hedera specific. This could be just generic. So the first thing you'd want is that somebody could issue you a token, something that says something about you. So you are a podcaster on Edge of NFT. Someone would issue you that token. I think the next step would be that the recipient of that, the receiver of that token would need the ability to either claim that token or reject it. Because maybe I want to issue you a token that says you're a member of the Mickey Mouse Club, but you have no interest in that token. Like you don't want that associated with yourself. You need the ability to either accept it or reject it. So then once you've accepted it, then I think potentially that token could have an expiration. Like maybe someone issued you a Costco card that has a one-year life. Your membership expires in one year. You would also want the ability to disassociate that token from your account. Like maybe you had accepted a token that said you remember the Mickey Mouse Club, but then you're embarrassed by that. You want to get rid of it. You want to disassociate that token from your account. And I think this is where you get more controversial territory, depending who you talk to. Typically, you also want the ability for the issuer of the token to be able to take back their token or to burn it, to wipe it from your account. That's because often like this is the issuer making an assertion about you. If they later find out that assertion was not true or was made under false pretenses or whatever, typically an issuer wants the ability to remove that token from your account. And I think that gets more controversial, like should issuers have that ability, this kind of stuff. And then of course, you also need features like you probably want discoverability. So like you can scan a chain and see who has that token that makes an identity assertion. You also want someone to make a query of your on your account to see what soulbound tokens you have. So I think like that's the holistic feature set that I see for soulbound tokens, regardless of what chain they may be implemented upon. Right. And then like on the security front, as we talked about some of those elements there, but 
it seems like that's a pretty big bridge we still have to cross around security features that make people comfortable that their identity, their digital identity is safe. Yeah, I think privacy is one of the concerns. Overall, one of the largest issues facing NFTs, whether they're non-transferable tokens like soulbound tokens or not, is key management. Certainly in my life, when I was working on decentralized identity, that was my biggest headache in having wallets, where I think when you're talking to a Web3 native audience, obviously, I think they're much better about key management. Well, yes and no, you can, you can find many examples of not, but they're maybe more willing to, let's say, put a securely store a seed phrase or something like that. I found personally that when we got into more generalized consumer environments, which I think is where we see things going, key management becomes a much more difficult. And it's one thing to be issuing someone identity assertions. It's another thing for them to lose control of their key material, and then they just lose control of their account. Like then what happens to those identity assertions? Or someone hacks them and somebody takes over their identity assertions. That's all kind of problematic. And I bet that all comes back to, in my mind, how do you deal with key management? Right, which to a large degree, I guess, is making it easy to use because that's the problem with the mass populace that isn't as familiar with key management is coming in. And what am I doing with that? Or where am I storing this? And next thing you know, it's exposed to the internet and they're compromised, right? So it's like an easy button would help. I think there's a couple of paths that, that we see. I mean, there's the path right now where like users manage their own keys and I'll let each of you kind of weigh in what you think of that. There's a model that's, I think, gaining popularity is around like social recovery in that if I lose control of my key material, like I can reach out to XYZ people in my community and they can support me in recovery. I think that's a model. I think the third model, which I don't think is talked about as much, but I personally think would be is something like a custodial key management. Like you delegate a trusted entity, like in today's world, that might be a bank or something you trust. They can recover your key material on your behalf. Like you show up at their office, you go through like a KYC process, you show your driver's license, and then they're able to restore your keys for you. I think those kind of models are needed. And I think that's certainly when people talk about soulbound tokens, they've recognized that like a lot of NFT, the grand vision we see, but this is certainly one of the problems that we have to confront. Yeah. By the way, I couldn't help as you're talking about sort of receiving these tokens and wanting to reject them all of the gifts that Vitalik has received over the years that he suddenly becomes a key stakeholder of a project that he has nothing to do with. And there's a meme coin phase back in early 2021 where all these famous people are inheriting large portions of token allocations and suddenly like they're a key voter and just like a bad wedding gift or just anything, you want that ability to say no. It's really important. Yeah. I mean, you could take the recent tornado dusting, just very similar. Like, I mean, this could go from being humorous to actually being very malicious if you don't have the ability to control what you want or don't want associated with your account. Yeah, absolutely. It still comes down to sovereignty, which is self-sovereignty, which is really important. One thing that I learned from having you guys at NFTLA, thanks, by the way, for being part of that and getting to know you guys, is the astoundingly low carbon footprint that Hedera has. Tezos seems to get a lot of the spotlight time, but you guys, according to a recent study from University College of London, you guys are leading the charge here. So congrats on that. And I would love to sort of understand where you see this ESG environmental sustainability sort of side of things going with cryptocurrency, especially in light of the recent sort of changes to the Ethereum network? Yeah. So I think 
maybe we can start with, obviously, a lot of this comes out of the proof of work algorithms that have gotten a very kind of dirty reputation. And I know, again, myself working a large enterprise, when you tell someone that you're using, in that case, it was Bitcoin, you have a lot of explaining to do regarding the kind of the bad image around carbon footprint. So I think one of the great things about Hedera is that, yes, we're doing the offsets. We are environmentally, we're sustainable, environmentally sustainable. I think beyond that, I think Hedera has been doing a lot of exciting stuff in the ESG space. We have a $100 million fund through our associated HBAR Foundation for environmentally sustainable initiatives on blockchain. We have a very exciting project called Guardian, which is trying to do like carbon credit auditing. So I think there's the baseline of making the operations of your chain environmentally sustainable and carbon neutral. That's like the baseline. And then I think there's all the other exciting kind of initiatives we have trying to make the world a better place in terms of environmentally sustainability by being able to anchor this kind of information on a public ledger. I'd love to switch the conversation a little bit to to the hash graph consensus and having it be a blockchain alternative, but kind of without the limitations and security risks that we might find elsewhere. Can you just give a little bit more details on that for the listeners? Yeah. So Hashgraph was originally invented by one of our co-founders, Lehman Baird. I think that initially it was patented, but since then we've been making big strides and very recently, the patents around that were all open source. So we are now like an open source, Hashgraph is now open source. And now we are taking steps to making the governance of that more decentralized. And it's moving in stages, but we've started introducing staking. Then we're going to be taking new steps towards things like community nodes, things like that, allowing others to participate in consensus. So you have the Hashgraph itself, which is, I think, the best consensus layer in terms of ABTF. It's very strong consensus. I've always been impressed at Hedera how much they really are thinking about the role of malicious actors, about how you build a hundred year chain, about scalability and future threats. I mean, we're always trying to look like 10 years in the future about what's coming. So yes, an amazing consensus layer. And then a governance framework, which I think today we restrict governance like to our council, governing council members, which as you mentioned at the beginning of the call is made up of like companies, like tier one companies. I think that allows for trust, kind of know who's operating the network. It allows for trust and consensus. You kind of know that all of these people are making decisions in their own, in the interest of moving the chain forward. So yeah, I think it's pretty amazing, I think. Yeah, I remember when we were in Davos getting to chat with someone else from Hedera and what he highlighted was that there's sort of a more centralized governance structure at the moment, but a vision of decentralization so that you have folks with a vested interest in making things work there and committed to having it functional, but also those folks are not going to necessarily, that's a lot of responsibility, (laughs) to be honest, right? They're going to want to create a decentralized network where the responsibility as well as the rights can be distributed. Yeah. And our governing council takes those responsibilities very seriously. Again, I think they're not looking for the short term. They're looking at what are the things we need to do to first encourage ecosystems to develop on the network? But also like a lot of the stuff I work at from the project manager perspective is like, what are the things we can do now, again, to make sure that we have a hundred year chain, that we are addressing scalability issues that we don't have today, but we think we might have five years from now. How can we make sure that malicious actors, constant part of analysis is malicious actors. Like how can we make sure that consensus is always fair, that no one can kind of ever come in and disrupt the network. These are always things that we're just constantly looking at. 
So lots happening over there. I'm sure there's a lot more though on the roadmap. So give us a little insight. Like what should we expect from your side of the world, man, Hedera and all the fun things that are happening within the network here in the coming months, three to six months. You're right. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening. I'm always amazed. Like every day is a learning venture. You meet a new customer that's doing something just incredible on the Hedera network. In the scope of this podcast around NFTs, I think we continue to see a lot of progress on, I guess, again, things like asset tokenization. I mean, a lot of really exciting stuff around gaming. Like one of my favorite movies, which not everyone's, but is Ready Player One. That kind of inspired me to like, what could it look like to have own assets within a game environment to be able to trade those assets? I think that's all pretty incredible. I think some of our other initiatives are around non-fungible tokens. Also, there's exciting initiatives around also that I'm excited about around fungible tokens, around particularly like central bank digital currencies. That's to me a very fascinating area, stable coins, things like this. It's all really exciting stuff. And I think in the coming months, we'll be having a lot more announcements about people that are doing amazing things on the network. Yeah, lots of building continuing to happen across the world of blockchain. So excited to keep an eye on what y'all are up to and where we go from here. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, I guess maybe one question might be, as you look outside of your world, your immediate world and other projects, what inspires you these days? Where are you drawing inspiration from? So I, myself, my focus and passion is around decentralized identity. So I truly believe in that vision that in the future, it's not going to be like you have a paper diploma and you have a plastic driver's license in your wallet, that you are going to have your identity in a digital form, in a digital wallet, and all the amazing kind of new opportunities that that will enable, whether it be around like things like easier KYC or job applications or things like that. So I am still very anchored to that vision. And actually a lot of my time is spent within that community that's building up those technologies, whether that be in the W3C or there's other organizations like Diff and things like this. So that's where I still spend a lot of my time and I get a lot of my energy and passion. Is there anything that you've seen like the last few months outside of Hedera that feels like it's going in that direction that you're like, wow, these guys are doing something really cool? I guess it's it's a little more techie, but I think one of the problems in decentralized identity space is like a lot of developing ecosystems, there's been a lot of different like standards and the standards themselves can be implemented in many different ways. So you, you didn't see a lot of like great interoperability. Within the last couple of years, we've seen groups of companies, individuals getting together and really starting to focus on the interoperability problem and trying to make sure that like, so wallets can talk to each other, credentials can move between wallets. And again, I guess this is all kind of tech and geeky, but again, it's so we can enable that world where in the not so distant future, you can get a driver's license from your state in a digital form. And then just think about all the amazing things you could do with that. If you had that, be able to share that as part of the interaction without having like scan your driver's license or talk to some human being and hold up your driver's license. I mean, I think it's really interesting all those things that could happen when those type of like high value credentials are kind of, you can have them in a digital wallet. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think two things that have hit home for folks is one, during this most recent bull run, there's a lot more activity on chains that weren't as predominant as in the past. And people like wanted to experience moving around. And similarly, I think with the metaverse, it's been exciting to see all the different metaverses come out that immediately begs the question, okay, how do I go back to the future and get from metaverse A to metaverse B? Because I kind of want to do both. I kind of want to bend time. 
if I could. And of course, interoperability is key to that. And I think it's been a forcing function for the whole industry to think about these things. For sure. I would say the other thing that is almost certainly coming is, I mean, and nobody likes to but it's regulation and particularly regulation around KYC. So I think in the not distant future, depending on how things go, a lot more of your interactions on regardless of what chain it is, there will be a KYC element to it. And we may not like it, but it's just kind of something that's going to come. Also, a lot of my energy is like working with some of the different groups to think about, well, how would KYC be implemented in Web3 in a way that's as least painful for users as possible? And also privacy preserving and all that other great stuff that we think we need. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. So we want to take a step back, though, and get your personal perspective on some questions to give our listeners a little insight to you. They're called Edge Quick Hitters. It's 10 questions we ask every single guest of our podcast. And I will go for short answers, single word or a few words, but we may dive a little deeper here or there. You ready to jump in on these? For sure. Let's go. Okay. Question number one. What's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think like a lot of... Well, maybe not anymore, but my generation, it was my first bicycle. I remember purchasing that nice red bike when I was about 10. That was from my big first purchase I remember. Nice. Question number two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? So my father, he had us doing a number of different businesses. So we used to collect fence rails and sell them out of our front yard. So that's what I remember selling. <laughs> and we were collecting money to buy a boat for the family. What is a fence rail? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, like there's cedar fence rails. These were like the weathered ones that are used almost like decorative things. Okay. And where would you find them? Are they just laying around? We had a farm and I think they had cut down a bunch of trees years earlier and let them kind of just sit around. So they had weathered. So we pulled them out of this old pile and 
hauled them out and then sold them in our front yard. Right on. Definitely first appearance of fence rails on this podcast. So <laughs> we like our first question. Number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? I think the most recent big purchase I made, I kind of have the boat bug. So I purchased a boat not that long ago. Oh, nice. Powerboat, sailboat, anything you can tell us about? It? Trailer sailor. So a, a sailboat that goes on a trailer. And so, yeah. Awesome. Question number four, what is the most recent thing you sold? Well, on that boat, when I bought it, it had an outboard I didn't want anymore. So I had to sell the outboard that was on it and get a new outboard. So that was probably the most recent thing I sold. Got it. Okay, cool. And that's an outboard motor, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. For anybody that is wondering, question number five, what is your most prized possession? You know, I have changed countries every three years. And in that, I've always kind of carried around like three suitcases. So I'm not a good one to answer this question. I don't actually have a lot of possessions that I couldn't walk away from today, this minute. Just, I guess, part of my personality. Gotcha. Follow-up question. What's the most surprising thing you could walk away in a minute from? I do like my truck that I could walk away. I mean, it's not that important to me. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that important to me, although I do like it. Sounds like Keith has given us his truck, guys. <laughs> Question six, though, Keith. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you have your eye on? I'm really kind of into the van life stuff right now. Mm. So I keep on looking at those like nice Mercedes Sprinter vans, like the four wheel drive. They're kitted out. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I got my eye on. Just need that 200 grand to buy one. They're expensive. I was driving to uh, Legoland recently. I'm in Florida and on I-4, there's this stretch where it's just like RV and camper van central. I mean, we're talking about thousands of them on this little stretch of I-4. And for the first time ever, I noticed that there were also hundreds of those Sprinter vans completely built out. For a long time there, you had to find a crew that would take them, buy one, and then they build it out for you. But there were literally hundreds of like RV land completely built out. So I don't know, maybe that price point will come down a little. It'd be nice. Yeah. I think everyone bought one during COVID. I was waiting for them to sell now. That's it. That's the move. Okay. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I would say understanding. I'm someone who is kind of very empathetic or when someone freaks out at me at a stoplight, I'm the kind of person that says, well, you know, maybe they're having a bad day. I personally think that's kind of a positive thing to take a step back and think about what other people are experiencing. I think it's something that'd be great to pass on. Agreed. Question number eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? Oh, I think I'm overly critical sometimes. So I think it's always great to be very positive and I'm always half glass full, half glass empty. I'm probably on the empty side. It'd be great to be a little bit more on the full side. Yeah. Bring some more optimism out there. Got it. Okay. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Well, don't tell my wife, but this morning I took my daughter out. We got a birthday present for my wife. Hey, cool. Awesome. And then last one, question number 10, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Well, I'm in Canada. So today all my children are off school for the queen's death. So I think I have some babysitting duties after this call. Understood. Yeah. Definite day of mourning across the world for the queen and much love to her and her family. Now, that's question 10, but word on the street is we have a bonus question in here. <laughs> yeah. So this is something I'm totally curious about, Keith. You've done a lot of things in your career, and I know you're quite modest in that regard. 
what's the most intense product sprint that you've ever been part of your life? And then what was the main food or drink that sustained you during this epic launch? So I started my career working in PC semiconductors, and that sounds very boring, but actually it was in the gaming chips as gaming processor. So I used to attend a lot of LAN events and we used to like launch products at the LAN events. So I just remember like being at LAN events in like Sweden or something and drinking whatever energy you drink and they were all drinking. And there was a lot of pretty crazy weeks doing that stuff. There it is. All right. That's it. Take note devs. Okay. So that's edge creators. Thanks so much for sharing with us. We do appreciate it. And we have another segment, I think, that we want to queue up here. That's right. Dominique, if you can join us, that'd be awesome. And Ethan, I'll turn it over to you, sir. Yep. So today's sponsored hot topic is all about Dominique, aka Mitch Moolah, a multi-platinum and billboard top 10 record producer, engineer, songwriter, and artist who co-founded Lil Bitcoin along with the meta label Crypto Money Records. Dominique, welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's really awesome to have you. And I've known your co-founder for over a year. Like we met at Bright Moments back in the day and I heard about Little Bitcoin. I was like, all right, there's something special going on here. So it was only natural that we get to meet you as well. So great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate it. We got to break it down for our listeners. Who is Little Bitcoin and what is Crypto Money Records all about? So Little Bitcoin is a decentralized avatar wrapper created by Satoshi in order to protect decentralization from dark force called the FIOPS. So that makes Little Bitcoin a superhero and he's also a rapper. So I like to use the, came up with like a little phrase, Little Bitcoin is, if Superman wants to change, instead of changing to Clark Kent, he'll turn into Drake. So Little Bitcoin is Superman and Drake. Nice, nice man. That's amazing. So when we think about crypto money records, like, What's on the agenda, man? Like, what are y'all doing over there? Like, what are you working on? Like, what should we all be excited about? Without going too deep in history, we like to say that we're responsible for bringing hip hop to the blockchain, to the metaverse in the most organic way possible. Joshua, you met Tilla, and I don't know how deep that conversation went, but Tilla's background in hip hop is 20 years plus from producing to doing visuals. I myself am a music producer, so we feel like there's no better way to bring hip hop and the culture into the metaverse than what we're doing. So we did a collab with Death Row Records on Crypto.com, which was really successful for us. It was a real great opportunity to work with a legacy brand such as Death Row, and it also kind of stamped our project in this space. So with a meta label, it's a lot different from a traditional record label existing in Web 2. There aren't many record labels in Web 3. So a lot of the things that we're doing now and other, whether they call themselves meta labels or record labels, whatever they like to title themselves as, we're kind of laying the blueprints right now of what a record label could be and how does that look. Like right now we're working on, so the way we roll out our project is in chapters. So with Lil Bitcoin being a superhero, we do comic books. So this right here, if you guys can see it, this is actually the chapter one comic book. And next on the agenda is chapter two, chapter three, so on. But now we're figuring out a way to distribute the publishing royalties in Web 2 to our collectors in Web 3. So that's something that's next on the agenda for us that we're really excited about. And you guys, that was a limited edition comic that sold out, right? Yeah, sold out really quickly. The floor price on it is great. And so for this comic book itself, in order to get the physical version, 
you have to hold our access pass. So once you hold the access pass and you buy the comic book NFT, and this will be moving forward from chapter one to until we run out of chapters, essentially, but you buy the comic book NFT and hold the access pass, you'll get a real comic book autograph by the creators. So on the next one we have is like a super limited edition that was going to be a holographic cover. Just finding different ways to entertain and please our yeah. collectors. So Keith, your wife cannot get the first one because that's sold out. So you're out of luck there, but you have a chance to get her the next one for her next birthday. There you go. I know it'll be on our list. Nice, man. So obviously the physical comic is part of that utility. What else as an access pass holder do you have available to current holders? And then also like, what are you planning for the future on that front? Yeah. So with the access pass, we like to super serve the access pass holders because they're literally the first ones that bought into our launch on crypto.com using that platform. So they get not only first dibs on whatever project we're putting out. Also, when I explained earlier about us distributing the royalties amongst the collectors, that'll be solely for the access pass holders. So if you hold the access pass, you have a chance to not only purchase the NFT, but now you'll be getting royalty, real life money, fiat when these songs come out. So Different things like that. We have a video game. I wish I could share it with you guys right now. I'll show you like a video, but we got a video game rolling out. The access pass holders would get first dips on playing that and testing out the beta. Like, you know, when Call of Duty or a new video game launches, they send it to the biggest guys that's on YouTube. So we're doing the same thing. So all of our collectors, we look at it as family, but the access pass holders, they have a real special place in our hearts because they're the literal first supporters of Lil' Big mm. One. And that sounds awesome. Yeah, that's great. The theme I'm seeing there is, yeah, just rewarding the most faithful, right? <laughs> and I think that that's something that I think we're getting to see more of in the Web3 space that was lost out in the past. And there's something there to support that. Can you tell us more about what attracts you to the Web3 space and being a musician that's produced records for quite a while? Why do it in Web3? Like, why is it so exciting? So honestly, we started the concept, Till and I, within two, three hours of us meeting, we came up with the concept of Lil' Bitcoin, and this was in 2017, well before Web3 was what it is today. So back then, we couldn't release it the right way because it wouldn't have served the right purpose. It wouldn't have had the right platform. So we, we kind of held off on it and just due to sheer luck, Web3 emerged and it served as a place where we could launch a digital rapper. And with this rapper being digital, it takes that stardom out of the one individual who, who would be a human and it distributes it amongst the team. Like Josh said, he met Tilla. That's the co-founder of the project. It was myself, Tilla. We have Deontay, who's the writer. So now we're literally taking what would all go to one person on the label. We're distributing it. So for me, the most important thing, one of the things for an artist and interacting in this space, a music artist interacting in this space is you have freedom to create. And I think that goes for any type of artist, anybody on anything. When it comes to Web3, there's no rules. There's no constraints on what you can create. It's really what do your collectors want? What does the community want out of you? And I enjoy that freedom, especially coming from hip hop, where you turn on radio, you kind of hear the same thing every time. Now you're in a space where your favorite song might be from somebody that's not even an actual human being. It might be an AI song. Not to say one's better than the other, but it just gives different. And as a creator, you just love to see just opportunity for more creation, more innovation. And also the direct relationship now we have with our fans, quote unquote, our consumers, our collectors, whatever you want to call them, is beautiful. I can jump in Discord right now and I'll know exactly what my fan base wants or our fan base wants and super serve them. Ultimately, we put out these projects and our main thought is what would we want if we were the ones consuming this project? 
And I think that helps us come up with new innovative ways and different ways to just keep the ball rolling and kind of push forward. Because like I said earlier, there's no blueprint on how to do this. We all just got here in Web3 one way or the other. So it's up to us and everybody on this call, anybody that's operating the space to some capacity, it's up to us to set the standard of what Web3 looks like for this genre, this category, this type of art, whether you're a chef or whatever it is. As a follow-up on that, you mentioned kind of being one of the leaders, which is really incredible. Clearly, some other folks have come up creating things in the music industry. Any favorites or have you created any collaborations or anything you're seeing in music outside of what you're doing that you find interesting? I love what Snoop's doing. I think what Snoop Dogg's doing is amazing. I think he's utilizing his Web2 stardom and brand recognition and implementing it in Web3, aligning with the board apes. And he's brought a lot of cool events and a lot of cool things to Web3 that... That's exciting to see. It's exciting to see that type of adoption. Snoop Dogg is probably the most popular rapper of all time. And to see him come in this space and to do what he's doing, I'm from a younger generation. I look up to Snoop Dogg and those older guys. So to see that, it's like, it's moving for hip hop, at least. We don't have a lot of representation in hip hop in Web3. So to see that is cool. Like I said, we did the collaboration with Death Row. That was amazing for us. I'm 30 years old. There's no way that I could work with Death Row from the capacity of which I know Death Row, Tupac, Snoop Dogg of old, Suge Knight, but now to get the opportunity to work with them in 2021 in Web3, it's like, if somebody told me I would be working with them or do anything in relation to them, I would be like, how? But Web3 shows us that there's really no limits on what can be done here. Yeah, man, for yeah, sure. Yeah, lots of opportunities. Big time. And speaking of the intersection of like entertainment and Web3, that's definitely one of the things we like to showcase at our event, NFTLA. We did that last year in a really big way out in LA. We're doing that again next year, March 20th to the 23rd. And we'd love to have a little Bitcoin out there showing what's up to our audience uh, live and in person. Yeah, anyway, for us to make that happen, man, we'd love to do that. That'd be really cool. Oh, yeah. When we get off the call, we can figure it out. We actually did a house party. I don't know if you guys heard about it. It was a mansion party out in NFT LA. And we showed a kind NFT that ended up never coming out. But it was packed. It was about 300 people there. Um, it was kind of the talk of the, I guess, of Web3 to some extent for a while. So we'd love to come out and perform and link up with you guys. That would be amazing. And, you know, it's overall, I mean, it's the theme of this podcast, just digital identity. We talk about it as it pertains to an individual that's putting their current identity or some form of it on the blockchain. But we're talking about like crafting one that's an amalgamation of a number of different people. But I think just as applicable to what we were talking about before, right? All the security concerns, all the validity concerns, all that stuff. Keith, I mean, it's all still applicable. I mean, I think that's one of the greatest uses of NFTs is really about allowing artists to kind of bind their art to themselves. So yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah. Well, Dominique, look, man, we got to make sure that folks know where to follow you and everything you got going on, Little Bitcoin. Where should we send them? So first and foremost, follow Little Bitcoin. So it's twitter.com backslash and instagram.com backslash Little Bitcoin CMR. You can follow me as well on Instagram, Mitch Mula, M-I-T-C-H-M-U-L-A. On Twitter, it's Mitch Mula CMR. Join the Discord. Lil Bitcoin's Discord is in his bio as well as mine. We're on YouTube, Spotify. We're kind of everywhere. So awesome to have you on the show and to meet you, Dominique, and look forward to what's to come for your whole team and Little Bitcoin. And word on the street is that you guys are going to do a really generous giveaway with us for some 10 Little Bitcoin comics. Is that the gist? That's true. That's true. I stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just making sure because it sounded pretty damn awesome. <laughs> so yeah, guys. No rug pull there. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no rug, rug no pull, rug. guys. 
This is about a thousand dollars and we'll talk about it on our socials and give you guys all the deets for how to score one of these bad boys. So definitely something to look forward to. Thanks so right. much. Dominic. We you. appreciate Thank your you. generosity. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Really excited to see where things go there and have a little Bitcoin out at NFTLA. We wanted to jump into this next section, which is a shout out section that we recently added. And Keith, we wanted to turn the floor over to you to give a little bit of love to some individuals and individual or organization moving the needle in your life. Yeah, I'd love to give a shout out to Katrina Dow. She's really a groundbreaking CEO of a company called Miko. Is really creating products for both Web 2 and Web 3 around identity, around tokens, around just amazing vision, amazing product. So yeah, big shout out to Katrina. All right, Katrina, much love. Thanks for your contributions. Big needle mover. We appreciate it. Okay, well, Keith, we also need to make sure that our listeners know where to follow you and everything you've been working on. Where should we direct them? Yeah. So obviously I'm on Twitter and the great thing is there's not that many Keith Coles in this world. So I'm not that hard to find. For the listener though, it is spelled K-O-W-A-L. <laughs> that's correct. Yes, that's right. We have the Hedera blog, the Hedera podcast. That's where you'll continue to see more efforts from me on, and I'm talking about the identity ecosystem. And then of course, what does identity look like on Hedera? So yeah, stay tuned. Amazing stuff. Again, thanks for sharing everything with us. We really do appreciate it. Keep an eye on Hedera, folks. And Keith, many, many big things to come. All right. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again, Keith, for sharing this time with us today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective with deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.